This is the Friday, August 11, 2023 installment of Market Plus. Sean Hackett still with us now as we continue our discussion. Sean, uh, you talked a lot about China, geopolitical. We're going to summarize those here in a little bit. Uh, I appreciate everybody who did write us a question, whether it was on uh, one social media or another. We try to get him in the show. Sean wanted to cover, we cover a lot of ground with him. So we're going to get to your questions now. Let's start with Mike in Nebraska. He's asking, what is the biggest assumption going into the tour, meaning the pro-farmer tour? What's the biggest question you have about going into the tour? I think the biggest assumption going into the tour is that the, uh, they're going to find that the crop is in worse shape than the current sentiment is in the market and what the current prices are suggesting. The biggest question for me is how good is the good areas, right? Because we always talk about the, how bad the bad areas, but we've had some very beneficial rains in areas in July and in August, going into the middle part of August here. And so, you know, while we always focus on the areas that miss stuff, we also have to look at how good are the areas that actually got the rains and didn't get the heat, because that all, all, ultimately the market oftentimes misdiagnoses how good is good, and you get surprised that the overall yield yeah, isn't as bad as we thought. Because what happens if USDA starts adding to the totals? Now, I know their scientific or their, their research for the latest report isn't quite as in the field, on the boots, on the ground that the Pro Farmer Tour is going to do. Does it matter? What happens if they do raise the bushels per acre? The August report is notorious for the USDA making blunders because they don't have agronomic information. September, they start really incorporating agronomic information. So oftentimes, they'll lower the August yield and then they'll raise it in September or vice versa. So I'm very, very suspicious. And most people know that the August report is not to be taken seriously, in my view, because it's not based upon the facts on the field. Um, It will impact the market for an hour or two or three, Probably, but I think September is the one that people really go to the bank on and what's really going on because we get enough information. Just to preface, we recorded this on Thursday before that USDA report. So, Sean, Mike in Oklahoma now wants to know, what's going on in the KC wheat market? KC wheat market is being impacted like all the other markets, spring wheat and soft red winter wheat, which is uh, Russia, Russia, Russia selling wheat at record levels, low offering the market with intermittent geopolitical spike trades that don't last because Russia doesn't stop selling wheat. Even though we had a poor wheat crop, it could have been worse. We got some rains at at, at the tail end, but I think the wheat market is trapped in that exact scenario. Having said that, there's an interesting thing that we looked at all the geopolitics of Russia going back 100 years and found that geopolitical escalations in Russia tend to occur, I don't know why, in the latter part of August. In fact, Ukraine independence was done on August 24th, 1991. Oftentimes, politicians and leaders like to make big statements around these historical points of reference. It wouldn't surprise me if somewhere in this back half of August, Vladimir Putin, President Putin, does something to, at a time of Ukraine independence to show who's really still in charge. You can think you're independent, but you're not. Right. So why didn't anything happen last year in August, well, like you're talking? I think everything is a, is a timing issue, right? I think we, we weren't far enough along in the war at that point 
to warrant such a thing. I think when we look at the moving pieces of the puzzle and the chess match that's being played, I think we are actually in the point where they want to escalate. They feel being a nice guy on letting food go out didn't work for them. And I think going into winter, they want to put pressure on food to let people come to the bargaining table and, and create an, a res, and resolve this outcome in their favor. Hmm. And I asked you on the show, like, what would be the sign uh, that it's happening? So I guess, who is buying this Russian product? India? India's been a big wheat China? buyer. China's been a big wheat buyer. You know, Anybody else? Turkey's been a big wheat buyer. You know, the Middle East's been wheat buyers. I mean, those are the countries that have been uh, willing to buy from Russia. Obviously, other countries that are more in alignment with the U.S. and Europe are not. Um, but that's who's been buying it, and that's the same people that are buying crude oil from Russia. Crude oil, highest since November 22. Gas prices have shot up, relatively speaking. Yep. Do you see an end in oil's rise coming anytime soon? Well, energy and wheat are sort of part of this same give and take, right? I mean, we know that if Russia, the way I'm kind of looking at this, if we get in a situation where Russia escalates, let's, let's say it does later this month, I think we're going to try to find a way to prevent Russia from selling its supply of wheat, its supply of crude oil, its supply of natural gas. Because if you stop the money from flowing into Russia, it gets very hard for them to continue to press the war. So maybe, you know, crude oil is one of the most international markets in the world. And, and there are people that know things in that market that others can't know, but they just know. It's interesting that that market is moving up seemingly for not a whole lot of reasons that you can put your finger on, but it might be telling us something is coming with geopolitics that we're going to see follow along with the wheat market. And even the natural gas market poked its head up yesterday, yeah. breaking out to the upside. You buying oil right now? I'm not buying it right now. I was recommending it to my customers, you know, a month ago when it was cheaper. I think, you know, when you're getting in the 80s right now, there's always a chance for a whipsaw down. And I'm, you know, you got to be careful about when you pick and choose. But I think right now, uh, fertilizer, natural gas, propane, those kind of things that are pretty important on the farm for drying down corn and things like that, I would make sure that I've got my supplies buttoned up. Feed those issues. Got it. Buy them. All right. Let's go to Kurt in Iowa. He wants to know, Sean, with many areas being dry, will farmers be making cattle feed for these high-priced feeder cattle, or would it be prudent to take a year off and put the dollars into CDs? <laughs> I always think it's more productive to put money into something that's of value and that has the potential to earn more money than... Well, be more specific, Sean. Which one are you referring to? <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, obviously, feeding, uh, feeding cows, I think, is going to be uh, uh, a more profitable endeavor than putting money in CDs. Um, Short run, maybe not, but in the long run, I'm, I always believe in productive assets. Do you see, where do you see, I should say is the better question, where do you see expansion and holdback and feeder cattle happening first? Where do I see expansion? Yeah, do you see it in Oklahoma, Kansas, or are you going to see it in the other states that aren't as big of producers? I think the western, the western grain belt, the western states, the southern plain states are where you're going to see big expansion because that's where we've gotten the, the better rains, that's where we've gotten uh, the better uh, pasture growth, and I think that's where, you know, obviously we had the most severe herd liquidation, which is they have the most need to rebuild that herd and stay in business for themselves. So clearly I would be looking for signs there for the leading edge of this herd rebuilding 
uh, phase that's been seen forever to come, but it looks like it's finally here with the better weather we've seen in the back half of the growing season. Let's go to James in Oklahoma for the following question, Sean. When will Russia and Ukraine completely shut down the Black Sea? See, I wanted to button this up one more time. Um, I, the way it looks to me, um, as I said, it looks to me like Russia wants to use food as a tool for settling this disagreement heading into winter time. The humanitarian consequences of running out of food during mm. the winter time and potentially having energy shortages during winter time would put so much pressure on the other side that I think that they would see the wisdom in finding a resolution to this problem and reducing the humanitarian consequences. So to me, I think this sooner rather than later, we are look at, we're going to look at a more escalating draconian lockdown of those breadbasket supplies to put the pressure on to make this situation improve before the winter time kicks in. Draconian. It's the second time I've heard that word today, <laughs> uh, but not two different instances. All right, let's close. Uh, that was for those in the back. This one's for also those in the back. One final thing. This is a callback to the market plus or the market analysis segment. This is Glenn in Iowa. With the flooding in China, how much export business can we pick up from then? You kind of danced around it, but you didn't give a, got a percent you want to throw out there in the next year? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, uh, from what I see from the f need for feed to rebuild the hog herd there that I think is now underway or going to soon be underway, and with the excessive flooding, people don't, I don't, I'm not sure people understand how hot it was in July in China. I mean, record high temperatures ever seen in a hundred years during pollination. Their corn crop to me is going to be quite a bit short. Exactly how short, we never really know. It's a black box. But I think the export business is going to be the strongest we've seen in probably the post-COVID, you know, po just po past post-COVID, when we really saw their demand come back into play. I think it's going to be a big demand side story in the first half of 24, something we haven't seen or haven't had a bright spot in quite a while. But I'm really looking to that to being one of the triggers for a better environment for grain markets as we get to that point. All right. Last question. Biggest uh, next three months, biggest mover of the market will be in For grains? Wheat. Okay, why? Because I believe the confluence of poor spring wheat crop everywhere, poor winter wheat crop many places, um, and the escalation and the shutting down of Black Sea Ukraine and the potential slowing down of Russia exports with problems of grain production in China all come together to create a situation for wheat specifically. I gotta have market for half the population yeah. in this world. I think wheat is set up, you know, remember it's more than 50% off the highs from over a year ago. I think that's the market to watch. Sean Hackett, good to see you. Good to see you, Paul, thanks. Thanks for making the time. Next week, we are going to look at getting help to process meat in a shifting marketplace. And we'll have the commodity market analysis of Mark Gold. Thank you for joining us here on Market Plus and have a great week.